tenth and final commandment, the last uh, word of love, as we've been calling it, uh, following um, Eugenia Gamble's advice, functions as a kind of last word over our lives. And I think it can be summed up like this. You are enough. You are enough. You, with your fears and foibles, your, with your beauty and your boldness, you, with your sin and your salvation, with your loves and your longings, you, just you, as you sit here this morning, are enough. It's fitting that the commandments end here. You recall that the first four commandments deal with how we love God. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make images or idols. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Those first four commandments are about our relationship with God. The next five commandments are, relate to how we love our neighbor. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And the last commandment, this one, asks us to pay attention to how we love ourselves. You shall not covet. It's the only commandment out of the ten that deals with thoughts, emotions, feelings, dispositions. Coveting itself is not an act. It can lead to acts that are quite destructive, of course, but in and of itself, to covet is to long for, to desire something that your neighbor has, anything at all, really, that belongs to your neighbor. Don't covet, says the Tenth Commandment. And I think this is interesting because you remember Jesus when he is asked to give the greatest commandment in all the law. And he says, the first and greatest commandment is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, the first four commandments. And the second, he says, is like it. You shall love your neighbor, the next five commandments, as you love yourself, the tenth commandment. Sometimes we forget that tag on that second commandment, second greatest commandment, as Jesus says, as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. It might be good for us to define what we mean by covet. I started to do a, a Hebrew word study and bring up my lexicon and, and really dive into it, and I thought that would be a great way to cut this service in half. So I decided it would be better to look into the scriptures to see how they present covetousness, what it looks like to covet. And no better image comes to mind than the story in 1 Kings of King Ahab and his neighbor, his next-door neighbor, Naboth. The king approaches Naboth because he wants to buy his field. 
The field is located right adjacent to the king's property. Ahab wants to build a vegetable garden there, the text says. So Ahab approaches Naboth and says, I will give you a better vineyard than this one, or I will pay you its value in money, whatever you prefer, but I want your field. And Naboth rather boldly refuses the king's offer. He says, this field is my ancestral inheritance. I cannot part with it. And it says that King Ahab went home, according to the text, resentful and sullen. The king, resentful and sullen. And then he lays down on his bed, he turns his face to the wall, and he refuses to eat. I want to submit to you that's the image of covetousness. I remember my grandmother talking about one of her sisters. All these people are dead now, so I'm free to talk about them. I remember my grandmother talking about one of her sisters who had a propensity to, quote, take to her bed. You ever heard that? Take to her bed. If something wasn't going her way, if her husband or one of her children refused to do something that she wanted, the next thing you know, she was in the bed, resentful and sullen, as the scriptures say. And my grandmother told me that that was a tactic because inevitably whoever had that thing that she wanted or whoever had offended her and owed her an apology, as she thought, they had to make that long trek down the hall into the bedroom to apologize on bended knee and give up whatever it was that she was coveting in order for her to get out of bed. I didn't realize that was taken straight from Scripture. King Ahab takes to his bed because his mind and his soul, even though he's the king, he could probably have any field that he wants in all the kingdom. But he wants that field. And his mind and his soul are consumed with what he lacks by what he desperately wants. My aunt took to her bed because her mind and soul were so consumed by what she lacked, what she felt had been done to her, that she just had to lay down consumed. As I said to the children, who's happy in that scenario? Not my aunt, not anybody who's living in her house, none of her siblings. No one is happy in that scenario. And while the actions of my aunt, I'm sure, as well as Ahab, I'm sure, were understandably infuriating, let's also acknowledge that they are just extremely sad. What's happening in the soul of a person who's been captured by a desire for something to the extent that they obsess over its absence? And Eugenia Gamble in our book names it. When we do not feel that we are enough, it is very easy to substitute things, possessions, promotions, accolades, new relationships, for deeper things. And Gamble goes on to make the distinction I know many of us who are parents have made with our children, the distinction between needs and wants. You ever made that distinction with somebody 
in your house. The desire, she says, to meet needs is normal, is healthy, but wants, when they get to the point of coveting, she says those come from buried wounds. Covetousness, she says, plays on wants and not needs. It looks for a wound and festers there. And the seriousness of this commandment, the all-encompassing nature of it, comes out in the way it's worded. And we don't say it the way it is in the scripture. I guess you notice that when we recite this commandment. We leave out the ox and the slaves and all of those things and the donkeys. But Gerard point, Rene Gerard pointed out that it's like a parent who, to keep their children from fighting, seeks first to forbid all the objects about which they ceaselessly fight, makes a list. You shall not covet this or this or this. Then the parent realizes there's just too many things. The objects are too numerous, they can't be named, so the parent just says it plainly. Or anything, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. All-encompassing. Covetousness, I want to submit, also show, and perhaps this is the word that those of us who live here most need to hear. Covetousness can show, show itself in a kind of perfectionism that correlates success in some external sense with one's own self-worth. Uh, kind of keeping up with the Joneses, as they used to say always wanting what the next person has. I shared with some of you a few years ago about the time when I received an A- minus in school. I was devastated by the A- minus because I was sure I had earned an A, if not an A+. All my exams and papers had earned A's, I participated fully in the class discussions. I didn't miss any assignments. I was never tardy. I was never absent. And in discussing my upset with several of my friends, they universally looked at me as if I were crazy, asking why in the world I would be upset with an A minus. Lots of folks would be quite happy with that grade. But I already made up my mind that anything other than an A somehow marked me as less than capable. I knew there were others in the class, and this may be the real point, who had gotten an A. And I was coveting their prestige and bemoaning what the longer I worked on it in my head had decided it might as well be an F. So I reached out to the teacher, and lo and behold, she had made an error and reporting my grade, and I did indeed have an A. And I instantly felt better about myself knowing that my intelligence and my competence had been affirmed. Now you may, may be wondering if this was the foolishness of a middle schooler or perhaps a high school freshman who's trying to get uh, his or her feet on the ground of, trying to learn how, as adults do, to separate external validation from 
internal self-worth, or maybe it was just a college kid finding his way, or maybe even a Master of Divinity student still figuring out theology, especially the part about living by grace, you'll be wrong. This was just a few years ago. My Doctor of Ministry program. So I stand in this pulpit as the chief of sinners on this front. I don't think I'm alone. I couldn't even blame it on youthful ignorance. I think we all carry within us a certain wounded places. Places from which we are easy prey for the idea that we are somehow less than, that we are not enough, that causes us to grasp and covet. In the end, coveting steals our time. We can find ourselves obsessively focused on the future. I will be happy when I make X number of dollars or when I get that promotion or when I get that house or when I graduate or when I finally retire. Always over the horizon. I will be happy when. Or we can look with an unhealthy longing to the past, imagining that those days were the good old days when all was right with the world and with the church and with our lives. If we could just get back there and recreate that pristine past. But such covetous postures steal from us the one thing we really have, which is the present moment. It makes even our time seem not enough. Gamble says in her book that we cannot tame this covetousness by sheer willpower. What is required, she says, is a heart tuned to the grace of God. And here is where we come full circle in the Ten Commandments. You remember that first one? I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. I don't believe God gives us that commandment because God is jealous or somehow intimidated by the presence of other gods. I think God gives us that commandment because God knows, as Augustine famously said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Thee, O God. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Thee. If we are feeling that we are not enough, what we may need is a return to the word spoken over us that is our true identity. God claims us in the waters of baptism and calls us God's own. And this is who we really are. And it is more than enough. We are more than enough. God's story is our story. There is no other identity in which we can find rest. Martin Luther was said to, in times of great struggle, reach up and trace this cross on his own forehead and say the words, I am baptized. It was his way of returning to the center, the quiet place where even with storms swirling all around, he could find a peace 
that came not from him, but from the one who claimed him, the one to whom he belonged. What is Christian education after all? Whether it's in Sunday school or youth meetings or growth groups, no matter what age we are, it's, a, it's an invitation to return to that center, to live out the first commandment. What is worship if it's not an invitation to focus our hearts and minds back on that center, that God is God and we and all the possessions of the world are not. Our teachers and leaders are our guides to that center, reminding us of who and whose we are. Thus we have no need of coveting, having discovered in that center all that we need. You recall on the first Sunday of this series, we talked about the commandments and their place in our order of worship. We say, that the, we say the commandments after the assurance of forgiveness and the passing of the peace. And we say, it from, from the, we say those things from this font. We come back to the center. We remember who and whose we are. And then we say the commandments. Because the commandments are not something that we have to do in order to earn God's love and favor. They are what we do in response to God's love and favor. They are a gift from God to guide us in living that is truly life. The tenth commandment then is an invitation to live free of obsession. Obsession over what we do not have to live free from the lie that we are not enough as we are. And it opens us out to a world where all we see and we do becomes thank you, thank you, thank you, gratitude. Now let's give thanks to God for this gift and pledge ourselves anew to walk in God's way just as we are for we are enough. Amen.